Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. If you missed this week, we hope you'll join us next Sunday at 9 a.m. for Sunday school or 10 a.m. for worship. Now, here's this week's message. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be here with you today as we continue our series called The New You where we're walking through the book of Ephesians. I hope you enjoy this. I really enjoy going through an entire book together. And if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. If you don't have your Bible with you, that's okay. It's going to be on the I think it's going to be on the screen uh, behind me. We're not there yet, so it shouldn't be up. But last week, if you remember, we talked all about practical living. He focused on the differences between the old life without Christ and then the new life in Christ. He explained that the way we were living before was leading to corruption, but the way in Christ and through Christ now restores and renews. That a life without Christ wasn't leading to where we thought, it was leading to this corruption, and he explained like kind of what sin does and um, what it does to us and what it can do through us, but he says in Christ it's, it's different. But Paul knows this isn't going to be easy. He knows just putting on these new things isn't going to be easy because we still live in a world that's full of darkness. We still live in a world full of sin. We still have to go to work where we have those difficult relationships. We still have those family members and friends, even though we know Jesus, they want to pull us back into a different or old lifestyle. He knows we're all going to be tempted. He knows we're all going to struggle with sin. And so the big question that Paul is answering for us today is simply this. How do we live in a world from which we are to be radically different? How do we live in a world to which we are to be radically different? As a Christian, are you supposed to be the moral police? Are we supposed to legislate everything that everybody does? Are we supposed to passively say, well, it doesn't matter. Jesus loves you anyway, so you can do whatever you want to do. Are we supposed to grab a bullhorn and a picket and start yelling when people don't? Y'all ever seen that before? I feel like I'm not connecting. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, should we grab a bullhorn and a picket sign and picket things when we don't like it? Are we just supposed to explain away the Bible and say, well, well, maybe it doesn't really say that. Are we to apologize for the moral and ethics that we're supposed to live out as Christians? Or should we just build monasteries and little communities of just Christians and we just go away from the world and just live amongst ourselves? I mean, how can we, as Christians, how can we live this new life in Christ, one that honors God, one that brings Him glory, yet still live in a world of temptation and sin and darkness? just to give you a heads up, today may get a little uncomfortable. But we're okay with that, right? We're going to do it anyways. You see, the previous section, Paul was concerned with what we should do. Now he's going to focus on things we should avoid. Ephesians 5.1 says this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself for, uh, up for us as a fragrant, fragrant offering and sacrifice. So Paul says, listen, follow the example of God. 
because we are his children, which brings us back to what we saw at the beginning of Ephesians, that we've been adopted by him. And in Ephesians 2.19, that says we are members of his household. He's reminding us, he's, we're not just people, we are children of God. Therefore, because we are his children, we should imitate him. Just like our kids do things that we do without us teaching it, they just imitate us. Now that we are members of God's household, we should follow in his way, specifically follow the way of Christ. And what's so amazing about the love of Christ he shows here, he points us to the cross and then focuses on two particular aspects of the love of Christ shown on the cross. First, he shows us the love that he has for us as sinners and then the worship of God. You see, on the cross, Jesus showed selfless love. He died for our sins. He bore our wrath. The things that we deserved and all the wrong that we did, Jesus took that upon himself and died a bloody death so you and I could be saved. It was completely undeserving, but it's because of what? Grace. Right? The grace of God, he did that for us because he loved us. But in doing this, he was a fragrant offering, Paul says, and a sacrifice to God. This type of offering speaks to the fact that this was appeasing to God. It pleased God. So on the cross, Jesus, this was a form of worship to God. He gave himself for us, but in doing so, it was a form of worshiping the Father. You see, what Paul's saying is the type of love we're supposed to show is self-giving, not self-indulging. We should be self-giving, not self-indulging. We are to give ourselves to God. As Christ, we are to give ourselves to him. And he will then push us to show love to other people. In verse 3, he's going to shift. He says this, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. It's easy for us to miss the forcefulness of what Paul's saying here. It literally reads, sexual morality, impurity, or greed must not even be named among you. Paul, Paul is saying these sins are so contrary to what it means to be a Christian. There shouldn't even be a little tiny hint. Sexual immorality is a broad way of covering any sexual sin outside of Christian marriage. And in just a case, they wanted to say, well, all right, Paul, but what about, y'all ever played that game? How close can I get to the line of sin without actually doing it? Yeah, that's what he's answered. Well, what about, he said, oh, no kind of sexual morality and no impurity, which is another sexual connotation. It's anything you can possibly think, think of outside of Christian marriage, this phrase would have immediately took care of. Then he says greed, which as its core means an insensatiable excess of wanting more. Just more, 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 never being satisfied. He says these are improper for God's people. Ben Weatherton says, Paul says that such things shouldn't even be mentioned, never mind done by Christians. And here's what this means. This means that there is such a thing as sexual immorality. That there is such a thing as things that are impure. 
There is really greed. It's easy for us to think we can read back and say, well, that was different. I mean, that was 2,000 years ago. Surely we've evolved. Surely, you know, we don't do the same things as them. Paul's probably just talking about something completely different. Klein Snodgrass explains, a scholar, he says, sexual attitudes, can you see that? That's kind of small, sorry about that. He says, sexual attitudes in the ancient Greco-Roman world were similar to today's, although at times more blatant. You believe that? Often a double standard existed so that wives were expected to have sexual relations only with their husbands. Chastity by a woman was valued but not necessarily practiced. Men, however, had various sexual outlets as long as they did not commit adultery against another man's marriage, meaning men could do what they wanted unless it was with someone else's wife. A famous statement illustrates the laxity. Mistresses we keep for the sake of pleasure, concubines for daily care of our persons, but wives to bear us legitimate children to be faithful guardians of our household. Cicero wrote, approvingly of the legitimacy and antiquity of young men having affairs with courtesans. Prostitution, homosexuality, and bisexuality were all common, and slaves were often abused sexually. I know talking about that is rather uncomfortable, but here's what I need you to see. 2,000 years ago, they had the same type of stuff we have today. And Paul is writing to a culture and tells them, you got to clean this up. Learning to follow Christ and your sexual expressions is extremely important. And this would have been challenging for them today, just as it's challenging for many of us today. They would have had to change the way they thought about what is marriage? What does any of this look like? Remember, they weren't raised in Christian homes. They weren't raised in a Christian society. They weren't raised in a Jewish society. He's talking to Gentile other religions, so they had to clean up and change everything they thought. But Paul isn't being the moral police. He's not writing in this in the newspaper telling everybody to clean up. Who's he talking to? Christians. He's talking to people who claim allegiance to the Messiah. He's saying, if you are new, that means all of this is new. This is different. If you're a Christian, if you've pledged your allegiance to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He says, there's a new way to look at all of this. But remember, Paul isn't talking about what they've done in the past. He's not talking about what you've done in the past. He's already said in Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Never forget that all of your sins have been forgiven in Jesus Christ. All of the things you have done or will ever do, However, he is telling the church, the people of God, that you have to stay away from these things. This kind of stuff will get you in trouble. It's not honoring to God. You're a new person. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, he tells them to flee from sexual morality. Like, don't even play with it. Don't even wonder how close can I get before it's actually wrong. He says, just run from it all together. Because sexual sins, and you know this, Sexual sins have a way of impacting you like nothing else can. A simple, I'm sorry, doesn't fix the brokenness of those type of sins, of the pain and the hurt that comes from that sexual sin. So Paul says, just stay away from it. 
And Paul's smart enough not to list all the, well, here's exactly what I mean. I mean, this list covers everything. Those two words hit all of it. Paul didn't think about, hey, in 2,000 years, I wonder what they're gonna, how creative they're going to be. Yeah, he doesn't talk about computers because they didn't have them. So he lists, he lists these things, which covers all of them. Anything outside of what the Bible describes as a, as a marriage. And we'll see what that looks like next week. But he isn't done. He says, nor should there be any obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Obscenity is indecent speech. It's vulgar. Foolish talk. This caught me off guard researching this because it's perhaps not what you think. Foolish talk isn't talking about uneducated or, you know, just intelligent talk. It refers to a lack of wisdom or a godly perspective. And this should catch all of our attention. He's saying, hey, are are you speaking into people's lives? Are you telling things without the wisdom of God? Without a biblical perspective? You remember in, in the Gospels when Jesus told his disciples he was going to the cross? Do you remember what Peter did? Peter said, Lord, may it never be. You remember that? Do you remember what Jesus said in response? Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me. Satan. That wasn't Peter's nickname. Peter, Jesus called Peter Satan. Why? You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in the mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. That's foolish talk. When we say things without a godly perspective, when we speak our opinions and our thoughts and our hey, we want it this way, or we say this. He says, no, let that not be among you. Or coarse joking, which is dirty jokes. Rather, we should use our speech for thanksgiving, which means it does matter how we talk. The things we say are supposed to build people up, not tear them down, and how we live in this world really does matter. Ephesians 5.5, he says, for this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. To which we gasp, don't we? We go, but I've done something like that before. What does that mean? This is echoing verse 3, and Paul isn't threatening them. He's saying if your life is characterized by these things, He's, he's painting the picture of an unbeliever because the idea is if you're a believer, your life isn't filled with sexual morality. Your life isn't filled with impurity. Your life isn't filled with this greed. Well, can you fall into it? Well, of course. But your life shouldn't be characterized, meaning you shouldn't continually live in those sins. He's warning Christians, he's saying, don't act like an unbeliever. These things aren't found in the kingdom of God. They're not going to be there. That's They're not in the presence of God. Verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Man, in in six verses, we've already talked about several things which are extremely unpopular to talk about, huh? Just in six verses. this This is a big one today. Andrew Lincoln comments. He says the readers are to not be led astray by anyone who asserts that there will be no judgment on sin. 
The words of such a person are empty and devoid of truth. You see, Paul knows that all of us are going to face critics that go say, well, is it really? I mean, surely, surely you can still. I mean, that's not really bad, is it? I mean, come on, come on. That doesn't exist. You're good. Y'all ever met people like that, or is it just people I know? Y'all know them too? Yeah, he knows that. He's saying, so don't let them fool you into thinking that this isn't a big deal because the wrath of God is coming on that. Don't live in a way that God's wrath is coming. Live as a new creation. Don't live the way that God doesn't enjoy, that calls Christ to die. Live in a way that shows his glory and goodness. You see, sin is a big deal. And I know we don't want to talk about this idea of God's wrath, but remember, in Ephesians 2, 3, let's quiz you, who's deserving of God's wrath according to Paul in Ephesians 2? You remember? Everybody. Everybody's deserving of the wrath of God. But because of his grace, because of his mercy, Christ died. So because we've been de- redeemed, because we've been rescued, we no longer live in a way that's deserving of that wrath. That's what he's getting at. Remember, he started with the, the cross of Christ, the death of Christ. So because of the cross, we live differently. God's salvation plan calls us to leave behind the life that was deserving of wrath. Verse 7, therefore, do not be partners with them. Now, Paul isn't saying not to associate with them. You'll see why in a moment. But he says, don't partner, don't share in their behaviors. Why? Well, the only other time that word is used in the Bible period is Ephesians 3, 6, where Paul says we share together in the promises of Christ. So what he's comparing and contrasting here is he's already said that we share together with other Christians, with Jews and Gentiles, we share in the promises of Jesus Christ and all that he gives. So we aren't to share in the promises of Christ and then share in the works of the disobedient. He's saying you can't share with both. You share in this area. You are to be different. And he tells us why. For you were once darkness. Remember, we've all been there. But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So we were once dark and dead in sin, but we've truly been made alive in Christ. So instead of living in that darkness, we now live as children of light, as opposed to sexual morality, as opposed to impurity, as opposed to being greedy. We now reflect God's goodness, God's righteousness, and God's truth. Of course, those are all characteristics of God, and as he said, we're to imitate God. So we don't act like that. We, we show his truth and his righteousness and his goodness. He says, live as children of light. And in verse 10, and find out what pleases the Lord. In other words, think about what you're doing. Thinking and discernment have always been a part of the Christian faith. He'll come back to that in a minute. Verse 11, he says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. 
But everything exposed by light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. That is why it said, that is why it said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, that gets very tricky, and it's, it's very packed like, Paul, what are you exactly saying? Paul is expounding on verse 7 after he said, do not partner with them. He says, have nothing to do with their fruitless deeds. Those deeds do not produce what God desires. He says, have nothing to do with the deeds, but expose their deeds. How? By, by you and I being a light in a dark by you and I living out the gospel in front of other people. By being in a dark, broken world, yet having the light of Jesus Christ shine through us so other people can see it. You see, Paul learned this from Jesus. You've heard it before. Jesus says it much simpler, though. Look at this, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, as followers of Jesus Christ, you and I are to engage with the world. Paul isn't naive. He doesn't say, once you become a Christian, run from everybody else. We are to let our light shine so people can see Jesus in us. We are to show and share the gospel. Mark Roberts says, perhaps then we are to expose the deeds of darkness, not so much by denouncing them, as by letting the light of God shine in and through us. We do this by announcing the good news of God's grace in Christ and by living in such a way that this good news shines forth. See, if we could embrace this, perhaps we could understand why God has us in a dark, hard place. You ever wondered why everything around you seems hard? You ever been in an environment where you're like, Lord, just take me out of here. Why am I here? Lord, have you met my family? This was a mistake. Right? Why, why are things hard? Why do I have to deal with? Why? Well, where do doctors go? Who are doctors around? The sick. They're an environment full of sick people. Would the doctor say, well, I'm a doctor and I'm here to help sick people, so I don't want to be around them? No, they go to them as Christians. If we're to be the light of Jesus Christ, we don't run from the darkness. We walk towards it, letting them see Christ. We don't participate in those deeds, but we shine his light so others can know him. That's the tension all of us are going to face, that we are ambassadors of the gospel that we may be the only hope, the only light that people see. That's when they're having a hard time and they're going through difficulties, you could be that beacon that say, hey, there's a better way. There's a different way. You see, but yeah, I don't want to go through the hardships. We'll say, yeah, this is the world, though. This is where we live. This is what it looks like. All of us face this. We look around and see brokenness in this world. We wonder why. But just be comforted today that God has you exactly where he wants you. He is sovereign and he knows and he's placed you and positioned you for something. Just know that he's got you and you are to be that light of Jesus to that place. Just take the posture of Isaiah and say, here I am, Lord. Send me, use me. And Paul knows there's tension here because we're to be this light 
of Christ in a dark environment. Is that easy? For some of y'all, it's easy. All right, for the rest of us, it's not easy, is it? Right, so he says this, be careful, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. As Christians, we are called to live wisely. Biblical wisdom is defined as the ability to make good choices in life in light of who God is. Wisdom is very different than knowledge. Wisdom is applying the knowledge. Yeah, I know about that. Now I'm going to use it and apply it to my situation. And a quick survey of Proverbs will show you that a fool lives destructively. They live as if nothing's going to happen to them. They're reckless. But believers, we are called to live wise, not reckless lives. Well, where do we get this wisdom, Paul? Well, the scriptures, of course. The scriptures are here teaching us the, the writings of Jesus, the writing of the apostles. The scriptures teach us how to live a life that's honoring to God, how to live a life opposed in, in something that honors God and glorifies him. That's why we place ourselves under the authority of scripture so we can learn, so we can grow to say, hey, this is how God has chosen to communicate. This is what we want to illuminate and light our paths. So I'm gonna put myself under it and I'm going to learn from it, and I'm going to grow from it, and I'm going to carry it out. Because the days are evil, Paul says. People are going to package evil in new ways. I mean, the world is changing so fast that we can't even keep up with how things are packaged and changing and evolving. He says, yes, yeah, so you're going to have to use wisdom here. I can't list it all out. You're, you're going to have to apply wisdom and really think through, is what you're doing taking you to a place that's growing in Christ? Or is what you're doing taking you to a place that's further from Christ? He says, use your head. Don't be a fool. You say, well, Brian, what does wisdom have to do with sin? As we talked about earlier, let's be honest now, just so everybody else around you feels good. How many of us have played how close to sin can I get without actually sinning? Just seven of us. The rest of y'all, if you didn't raise your hand, I'm slating you to preach next week. Because you got it figured out and you're doing it. Right, we've all played that game. We're like, well, well, the Bible says not to do this, but this isn't it. As if we're strong enough to not keep on going. How many times, don't raise your hand for this, how many times has that line been moved? Well, it's not bad. Well, now sin, sin's actually down there. I've changed my mind. It's not so bad says, come on, be wise. Is that wise to do that? Is it wise to put yourself in a compromising situation? Is it wise to put yourself in a situation that you've fallen so many times before just thinking you got it this time? Is it wise? He said, Paul said, don't be a fool. Don't live recklessly. Use wisdom. Because now we are called to be spirit-filled. You see, in the New Testament, we're not giving laws like they were given in the Old Testament. They had over 600 laws. I mean, they wanted to follow them to the T, and then they had other books that would explain what it meant so you could just be completely in line with what God thinks. But it's different now. Now it's this laws written on our heart. Now the Spirit's indwelling us. So we have to use that and apply wisdom, apply knowledge, to figure out, hey, should I be here? Should I do this? 
We aren't to be filled with the law. We are to be filled with the Spirit of God. That's why he says this next. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Here, Paul is saying we are to make ourselves vessels. We are to make ourselves instruments available to God to be ready to be used and filled by his Spirit. This isn't the initial dwelling of the Spirit. This is something different, that we can actually be filled and, and have the presence and the power of Christ, that we can come and have that Holy Spirit just, just fill us. And how does this work? Well, specifically here, he's talking about corporate worship. Paul is describing believers coming together, singing to each other and to God. It's in worship, a singing, we make music, we open our hearts to God and allow him to fill our lives. And I know some of us don't like singing. We don't want to get all emotional. We don't want to be vulnerable. But it's okay to be emotional and vulnerable to the creator of the universe. That is a great place to start if you need to work through that. Open your heart to God. Allow the Spirit, because if you want to be strengthened and you want to be empowered to live in this dark and broken world, then prioritize corporate worship. I didn't invent what we do as Christians. We take our cues from the Scriptures. The reason why we come together is to be strengthened and empowered to live in this broken world. You can't do it alone. It's something about that, that the Spirit fills us. That's what Paul says. We come together and he fills it. But what I find so interesting about this, this was convicting to me, perhaps to you. He says nothing about us singing to ourselves and for our pleasure. Nothing. We're singing for others and to God. Meaning the, the way I get the most out of worship is when I sing and think about how it's impacting other people. Now, to be honest, if I sing, I know how it's impacting you around me, okay? Like, it's probably not helping out much. But the idea here is when I come to worship, I'm not singing for me. My true audience is who? God. Do you think God can be pleased with all sorts of music? Right, of course he can. So what if I took me out of the equation? And when I worship, I worship, and I look around at everybody else. I go, I'm singing for them. Ah, oh, wow, that's moving them. Oh, they got their hands up. Ooh, what's happening? Can I do that? We'll talk about that later, another week. But what if you came together realizing it wasn't about you, it was about others? Because according to the Bible, how do you get filled up by the Spirit? Not about singing to you, but singing for others and God. And what if the reason why we're not being filled by the Spirit because we're thinking about whom? Ourselves. I told you today we'd get uncomfortable. You thought we passed it, didn't you? All of it is. Yeah, so if you want to be filled by the Spirit, come and sing for others and to God. Watch what happens. Because He will fill you. Remember, we are to be self-giving, not self-indulging always in a thankful attitude. 
Is it hard for you to be thankful every day? Yeah. It's, it is for me. I know some of you are just, some of you I meet, you just talk, and I'm like, why are they so happy? They're always happy. I envy that. It says in always being thankful. So how do we live in a world that's different? How, how do we live in this world from which we're to be radically different? Paul says, listen, by completely avoiding a couple of sins, probably all of them, but he's, he's, he's naming some powerful ones. He says these ones can entice you and they can entangle you. Sexual morality, greed, and speed. Just stay away, avoid them. He said there shouldn't be a hint among us with them. Because those who follow Christ are called to live like they've been saved and redeemed by Jesus Christ. Which means if you do sin, or better yet, when you do sin, we repent. We turn from it. And he will forgive us for that. But we strive to live a holy life pleasing to God. And that's not easy. I know that. However, to be clear, this does not mean we berate and we yell at non-Christians who do do them. We are not the world's moral police. Rather, we let our light shine. We let them see the truth of the gospel by how we behave and what we do. We expose those deeds by living a good life, a righteous life, a true life. And as Christians, we cannot expect non-Christians to have our morals and values. It's becoming quite obvious as the culture shifts and we go, I wonder what's going on or what's going on with society. Listen, if someone isn't a Jesus follower, you can't expect them to act like a Jesus follower. But you can model the life of Jesus in front of them. We will reach people for Jesus Christ when we are shining our light in this dark world. Because did you know that people without Christ believe what they're doing will lead to happiness? Like everybody's on a happiness quest. It's the truth of the world. So they believe what they're doing is leading to happiness. So here's what's going on. We know, and well, I believe, and and Paul's already explained that if you're caught up in a life of sin, it's not going to lead to a great place. Are you following me? He's saying, so they're going to live that life and it's not going to lead to a good place. But you're right there living the truth of the gospel. And so when sin does what sin naturally does, and they come to this place in life going, this isn't working out, or I can't believe this is happening, guess who's there being a beacon of light, shining Jesus Christ? You. You're going, oh, I got this. Look, let me help you. Oh, yeah, no. How did that work out for you? I mean, my marriage is falling apart. What are y'all doing? Or, man, my kids. How are your kids? Right? It's not by living a life like everybody else. It's by living a life differently. So when their stuff doesn't work out, I mean, none of ours does, right? We're all saved by grace, thank goodness. But the idea is a life full of sin will lead to a dark place. And so when that doesn't work out for them, they will have you and see you and be able to say, hey, what's going on? What's different? Can you, can you show me? You say, yeah, it's Jesus. And you can talk and see where that leads. Will you be the light on a hill so people can seek you when they need help? That's what we're called to do. So while we cannot expect those who are not following, while we cannot expect those who are not following Jesus 
to act like Christians, to share our morals and values. We can, however, expect other Christians and believers in Christ to share our morals and values. Because according to Paul, there are some things we just can't take lightly. According to Paul, we should be able to come together and be built up and encouraged and strengthened, not tempted and pulled away. The idea is that when we come together, we can learn about righteousness, we can learn about truth. So in a nutshell, we can't expect Christians to act like Christians, but we surely can hold Christians accountable for not acting like Christians. That's what the scripture teaches, that together we can do that. You and I, we could just be the children of the light. I asked Scott if he'd come up here and sing this little light of mine. Y'all remember that? He said he wouldn't sing it today. He refused. I don't understand why. And so why do we do this? Listen, Paul's not getting on you. He's not getting on me. We've already covered that. We're all deserving of God's wrath, but we've been saved by grace. I mean, he's expounded on that. Please don't forget that. What he's teaching us is you and me, as Christians, we're going to live in a broken world. We know that, Brian. Okay. So position yourself to reach people with the gospel by living out what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's the idea here. He's not getting on people for not being Christians. He's talking to Christians saying, stay away from that stuff. Live so you can reach people for Jesus. Be that beacon of light. Because Jesus Christ gave his life to redeem and rescue people from sin. He's our salvation. He wants to lavish grace on everybody on, and give them his mercy, and he wants to redeem them, and it puts you and I in positions to shine his light. See, love and our worship God will motivate us to do that for others. So this week, as you're in those dark places and you're in those hard spots, when that stuff around you doesn't seem to be going good, just think through, am I being that light? Am I reflecting the goodness and the grace of God into this environment? Am I pointing them to Jesus by what I'm doing? And if you're all wrapped up and caught up in sin, there is great news. There is forgiveness for you and Jesus Christ. First John tells us that he is faithful to forgive us from our sins if we just confess them. So if you're stuck in it, listen, repent. Allow the Spirit to renew and restore you. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for the grace. Lord, all of us fail. All of us sin. All of us have learned to live a life without you. So Father, help us live a life for you. Allow your spirit to fill and convict and get rid of the things we need to get rid of in order to just glorify you. Oh, this isn't easy. But we're not doing it alone. We have your word to guide us. We have your spirit to fill us. And we have other brothers and sisters in Christ who are here to walk with us. Father, let us be strengthened together. Let us come together as community. And if we're struggling with sin, if we're having those spots, Lord, just give us the wisdom to seek out help. To find a group of people we can live life with. Father, we love you.
Father, we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.